Welcome to another episode of the Speed Change Repeat podcast, today with Christian Gutmann. Christian is uh, the Vice President at Tito for AI, and um, Christian, I'm actually very glad that you're on the show today, because uh, you have a lot of things that you're doing, um, and also a very rich background in the, in the sense of where you've lived, so a very international background, and so first of all, hello Christian. Hello, great, great to talk to you, great to be on your podcast. Yes, so uh, we always start the same way in the sense that um, obviously uh, we kind of want to know where you come from, also in, in regards to getting a better picture uh, for our listeners to kind of see, okay, what are the different professional stages mm -hmm. and uh, what has kind of shaped you and then how did you actually end up where you are today? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Love to. And um, I mean, I can say and I can start with um, saying that I've been involved in the field of artificial intelligence and entrepreneurship and innovation for for very long time. And uh, and uh, so maybe over the last almost yeah, 20, 25 years, I've been involved in uh, projects, did my education in the area of psychology and AI and uh, worked for companies, uh, started my own companies. And uh, that's that's sort of in a nutshell, my background. Um, I'm now working for tier to every actually, uh, the way you pronounce it is quite quite common, but it's actually you, you it's tier to every and we merged with another large company, we are 24,000 people now. Uh, in the Nordics, uh, the largest IT company here and one of the largest IT and software companies in Europe. Um, I'm the global head of AI and data. So that means that in my responsibility is to really scale uh, AI technologies and solutions and services to customers um, and really engage uh, the Nordic customers and the European or European customers becoming uh, you know, modern and novel and start absorbing those uh, great technologies that really create value in the ecosystem. So that's one big responsibility. I'm also the executive director of the Nordic AI Institute, uh, which is a uh, nonprofit organization, an independent organization, which consists of uh, many experts that come from industry, uh, uh, science and from government. Um, and we saw years ago that there's a huge need in creating the right knowledge and wisdom and expertise in the in the ecosystem in industry in governments and we essentially connected uh, have a connection of, of a network where we exchange our uh, our our um, knowledge and insights talking for example with several ministers in europe and in india and in the in the uae um, and yeah, spread the spread good knowledge, let's say useful knowledge around AI. And finally, I'm uh, uh, still uh, in the uh, in the academic world, in the scientific world. I'm at the Karolinska Institute here in Stockholm, Sweden, which is a medical university, uh, doing research in the area of AI and um, and digital. And uh, was before at several universities. Uh, uh, for example, a junk professor at UNSW, I was giving lectures at, in Harvard and popped over to the SRI and, and was at many, many universities where I'm still active on this on the, on, on several and several uh, functions. But that's sort of my, my current role and I'm happy to, you know, delve into more projects that I have been involved in, uh, in, in my, in my career and you know, there's, I think a lot. A lot to discuss <laughs> yeah definitely so the, the the thing is that 
you know, you've been in the field already for quite some time, right? And then both uh, from an academic perspective, but also in the private sector. Mm -hmm. um, so also in different industries. And, and I think kind of before we dive more into the things that you're doing uh, currently um, at uh, yeah, your, your primary role uh, as VP and also, let's say, at the nonprofit organization, I think it's kind of interesting to, to get your understanding in the sense of how have you perceived or in, in a nutshell, to kind of summarize it, obviously it's uh, it's quite quite some time now already. Um, how have you perceived the developments from back when you started in the field um, in, over the past, let's say, two decades, sort of say, right? I mean, we've come mm -hmm. a long way. There's uh, obviously a lot of major major uh, things that happened, um, also from the technology side, infrastructure, um, and all all these things that we uh, know. But how would you kind of you know describe the development in that sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, starting off with also what I what I mentioned before, I I personally started off, and I'm still very passionate about the topic of AI. I mean, it's it's one of those great topics um, which really engage your mind. You know, how can we build machines that are intelligent, make sense of the world, and uh, and and uh, use them for for the good of humanity or for industrial. Uh, purposes, you know, there's a lot of those very important questions that stand sort of in the middle of my career forward and, and actually quite similar. Uh, uh, this world, the, the last two, three decades have evolved in a, in a similar manner. I think there is more and more interest in uh, capitalizing, commercializing uh, these new AI technologies, machine learning algorithms. Uh, to make them more accessible and more valuable to industry, society, governments, humanity as a whole. Um, looking back, I think about 20, 30 years ago and before, um, AI has is pretty much a has has been a, an academic topic, a scientific area, with people that are very interested in these um, in this questions on you know how you can build intelligent machines and asking asking many scientific questions um, I remember having been at large corporations at the time where we really avoided the word AI altogether uh, because it just had a let's say a strange connotation it, it was just not used and any other word uh, was used instead such as intelligent systems or uh, analytics, you know, you used many other words to cover essentially, you know, the fact that you work on on a some would consider it a more esoteric topic, but of course, in essence, that's really uh, that's really what what you have been working on: machine learning algorithms, making sense of data, understanding uh, objectives, understanding vision, uh, and those those topics. Then I would say, um, I think the field has broadened quite a lot. I mean, AI and building intelligence has already been recognized in its early days in 1956 and, and 1944 and 42, when Alan Turing worked on it as being categorized, you know, into vision and robotics and, and learning and so on. But this has become wider and wider. So this tree of different fields has become wider and wider. Uh, just as as you would have it in in a field like medicine, where you start off with maybe reasonably simple categories, you know, treatments and diagnoses and for chronic conditions and so on, and then you start becoming more and more specialized, and and so that has happened in AI too. So an example would be 
there are these overlapping areas like user modeling or human computer interaction uh, where you're focusing a lot on how you can make systems and AIs understand who you are as a person. Uh, that can be used in tutoring systems, you know, when you have uh, in learning setups, in school setups, students that deserve individual and personalized information about how they should learn. But in order to do that, the AI and the machine needs to know who you are, what your preferences are as a student and how you learn best and so on. So this is a field that has grown and has been standing on its own feet. Another area where I worked in a lot and which has also emerged, actually, that is about the time when I started becoming very active is uh, distributed AI or uh, something you call multi-agent systems. So you have um, multiple AI, so multiple agents that would be working individually with each other. Uh, and that is, of course, a very different notion in having just one AI that does everything in a centralized and acts in the world or in, in an organization. But you need to start looking at questions of how can you create teamwork among among AIs and, and so on. But to summarize a bit and look over this period, I think obviously, I think as many listeners know and you know also, I think the big uh, emergence of the, of, of the AI topics, particularly machine learning has become very popular the last seven to nine years when the application of uh, neural networks, which is a subfield of, uh, of machine learning, um, have become very powerful and created a lot of uh, very impactful applications. Uh, the ones that we know of is that it places ads uh, on, on Google or on Facebook uh, and knows essentially preferences and which types of ads would create the most, um, let's say, impact and traction with the, with the users, for example. So that industry has completely exploded in terms of revenue and, and industry and economy. And I think it has uh, gained a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of attraction, you know, a lot of um, attention. So I think that that has happened, and uh, the topic of data being at the core of many AI, applica AI applications, but certainly not all, um, that is something that uh, has become a core part of many industries, and that has been spurred by the internet and by by devices like you know, smartphones and so on, collecting a lot of information over uh, over a certain period of time and then making sense of that information. So there you have a, a beautiful starting point of, of AI um, approaches and they have been utilized. And that has essentially just increased over the last 20, 25 years. Right. Yeah, that's true. And I think, you know, one of the Actually, one of to be honest, if, if you if you look at what is happening most recently, right? Uh, I don't know if you can kind of like maybe also dig a little bit more deeper into that. And this is the intersection of basically, you know, um, of a domain, or more and more the application of let's say machine learning methods and uh, on specific domains. So really, let's say the intersection of a domain such as, for example, health, right? Um, and, and, and the context of the data and and, and that domain with let's say technologies in, in the machine learning field right and for example there's this um it's a really uh, great uh report uh the, the state of ai report i don't know if you know it um mm -hmm. yeah the index is it the ai index 100 or so from stanford or uh no it's it's an it's another it's another one it's uh it actually doesn't matter so uh, if you don't know it I'll, I'll i'll introduce you to it afterwards so it's it's and it basically like it came out very recently and it showed kind of also the 
the jump in uh, in basically academic papers uh, within the uh, biology sphere um, that uh, let's say included um, you know machine learning within the research kind of and and that this is really growing and growing and I think this is something that you know you observe more and more basically that okay you know the real value is, is lying as well you know you talked about for example ads right and I mean that's the most clear one from a consumer perspective right all the other products that we use you know uh, on a daily basis may it be spotify netflix whatever it is right um all basically you know recommend us all all the time some stuff right but i think you know what, what's what, what we're seeing right now is more and more let's say um you know these, these 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 methodologies being applied to you know um specific domains and maybe like if, if you share that observation as well maybe you can so I'll dig a little bit deeper into that from your side yeah uh... Yeah, thank you. That's of course a very valid observation. And and you asked me before what the what sort of the overall uh, development has been over the last 20, 30 years. And then if you zoom in over the last five, 10 years, then one one area that you point out to is these B2B enterprise environment, right? So how do you start applying AI in those environments? Because the consumer parts are more tangible and obvious to the to, to, to every single one of us, you know, if it's Siri on the phone or the ads or the Facebook feed or what it is. But of course, in the enterprise world, it becomes a very different uh, different environment or in the B2C or B2B world. Uh, and you mentioned our healthcare and, and, and medicine, which is, is one of those favorite topics when it comes to AI for me, because, you know, uh, you have great opportunities to help people and, and for chronic conditions or cancer, and I'm quite passionate about it. But of course, the um, uh, the application, uh, and as you said, you have an explosion of cases of going deeper into this area, and you can possibly compare it a bit with these core algorithms that have been developed, such as neural networks or support vector machines, or you know, there are many, many uh, algorithms uh, and approaches that have been utilized. They are so really quite mathematical. But of course, to make them more applicable and meaningful, you start applying them to a certain domain or you make them, yeah, you, you, you start applying them to a certain domain. And in some cases, you can uh, adopt the, the technology in a way that it becomes meaningful and useful for experts in another environment, right? So I worked for many years with, uh, with medical professionals, doctors, surgeons, uh, also medical management staff. And they have a certain understanding of their environment. And that is something uh, that you would like to embed into your AI approach. So the system needs to be um, understanding and needs to be enriched with that knowledge in order to make the outcomes more meaningful for the users. Could be patients, could be doctors, could be the hospital. Uh, but that is, of course, a very important part. And while perhaps uh, from a mathematical point of view, uh, from a from an from a technical AI point of view, this is let's say quite um, simple. Of course, when it applies and the doctor needs to make sense of the numbers that are spit out at the end, it becomes a very very different environment. And and so I think that's what you're really pointing to that you start realizing um, when you apply it, let's say to predict an onset of a condition, or you um, with an AI algorithms, or you predict if um, the way or you want to reduce the waiting times in hospitals for elective surgeries because you apply algorithms in order to an AI in order to make the 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 efficiency at the operational efficiencies in hospital better and when you do all those things 
you start uh, realizing that they are not as trivial and you need to be um, to, to, you need to involve different stakeholders. You need to think about the process as to which parties and which people you're involving in this process. When would you be uh, asking, let's say the surgeon or the, the hospital director or the nurse when and how to engage. And so all that knowledge is um, often quite intangible. It is part of the system uh, which needs to be extracted. And it, it then turns out it is nowhere near as trivial to then model it and make it part of, of your uh, machine learning system. So, so, and with every step, every time you start applying it, whether in, in an Alzheimer's setting or whether in chronic disease management or, or other settings, you have very deep observations and important observations as we also do in my team here at the Karolinska Institute, which are, which are worth sharing and which are then have the potential to move from one setup here in, in Sweden and some hospitals where we, for example, tried AI algorithms in different settings and then start moving them to other, uh, other environments. And, uh, but that needs to be, as, as it is a case, at least in the, in the scientific field, you know, it needs to be documented and reported and peer reviewed and then, and then it becomes accessible to others. And then, of course, just quickly reflecting on the second part, which is the industrialization and the commercialization of the whole um, environment. And, and so there you need to be very mindful of data protection, uh, of um, you know, patient um, usability and patient experience and outcomes and double blind trials and get all the doctors on board and so on and so on. So, uh, yeah, and all this, I think, is, is part of that explosion where you become more specialized with the approach and the insights that you have in your AI systems. Right. So let's, let's, let's maybe go then, uh, you know, another layer into detail and kind of, let's say, you know, look at, look at the industry, maybe that you are, you know, that you, that you're in and, and maybe also, let's say kind of the things that you're doing on your, um, you know, on your, on, on your daily, daily job, basically. So, um, uh, I, I, you know, even though you've, you've said it, I think like 10 minutes ago, I still forgot like how to properly uh, pronounce the company. Tieto Every. Tieto Every, yeah. Tieto Every, exactly. So, um, Finnish uh, word, by the way, if I may just uh, elaborate, it means Tieto actually means knowledge or, or wisdom yeah. and the company is 50 years old. So, so it actually suits the, uh, it suits the, the mission that we're having and the purpose that we have because we're now really in a data-driven uh, world. But it's a Finnish word for knowledge theater um, at least uh, you know that's uh, that's a that's a thing that i didn't know before so um uh, let's let's maybe then dig a little bit deeper into that you know like what is you know what is what is kind of you know part of your role that you're doing there um you're, you're the let's say global head of ai for that and then kind of you know give, give us a little bit insight what, what, what are you doing there yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, in some sense, um, it's it's pretty wide. I mean, it's a new era of business when it comes to applying this very new technology to customers. And um, I think I can summarize it, although it's probably not comprehensive or complete, but I can try to summarize my activities uh, in three three fields. So yeah. the first one, the first one is really that I'm going out and working with our customers uh, to identify uh, the the business opportunities that one has with AI. So we are advising the leadership of big Nordic companies, big European companies, as to how to position yourself in this new field and new era, because business is quite different when it comes to AI. You're starting to make 
data-driven decisions and not <laughs> opinion-based decisions in your business. And at the same time, we're also working, of course, with the, uh, with the organization where these opportunities practically lie. So we're working with the head of sales, the head of IT, the head of uh, product engineering to see when and how AI can be applied and what type of technologies would be applicable uh, uh, in those environments. So we, we, we work with them. It's, a, it's quite a range of interactions uh, that we're having with these customers. Uh, it can be that we collaborate and innovate together. It could be that we deliver in uh, and implement systems uh, and um, yeah so that's sort of one part one big part to really involve uh, the, the customer and the and, and create value to be industry driven to commercialize and industrialize and build end-to-end -end solutions in AI which is still a big challenge because in Europe overall we still have lots of companies that are let's say they are they having non-data driven businesses, right? Where data is not part of the core, where AI is not part of the core. So there's a lot of cultural changes that are often necessary. So that's one part. The second part is really to build up these capabilities uh, in our company, uh, with our partners, uh, within the company. So to build the best team uh, that we have to offer to, uh, to our customers and to building our products uh, to build our financial products. Uh, and so that is a very important uh, part. Uh, that means also to engage with the right uh, stakeholders, with talent in this field, um, and to build also internal structures which are necessary in order to maintain and keep and retain the best talent. So so that's, that's another part. And, and maybe I should add also here, it's about AI assets, IPR, uh, building cutting edge technology. This is all, all part of building the capabilities. And maybe the third part is then, of course, to build um, and contribute building an ecosystem, being a, uh, an, an, um, a thought leader, an ambassador, um, 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 clarifying and illustrating how we are, how AI can be used, uh, what it means to society. Uh, this encapsulates in part questions around AI ethics, for example, or trusting AI systems, working with, uh, with the government. So I've been, for example, down to Brussels and the EU several times now. You and the listeners might be aware there's a new regulation coming out uh, very soon, an AI regulation, data regulation, and product mobility regulation for the whole of Europe around AI, specifically around AI. And... Um, it's of course super tricky. Uh, you know, how do you build such a such a regulation for systems that are meant to be acting as we humans do by and large? But that, that's sort of the third category. You know, how do we make an ecosystem possible for us, for our customers, and for society in order to really gain the benefits and, and, and make this uh, a, an integral part of how we are, uh, how we how we're utilizing it the best AI and and it's. Uh, adjacent um, technologies such as 5G, IoT, security, cyber security, and so on. So that's probably in, in three big buckets, and there's probably four or five uh, others that I've forgotten, but <laughs> it's busy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that's always, it's always hard to kind of, you know, quickly sum up, you know, um, the complexity of one's work. Mm -hmm. uh, but still, I mean, you know, you've, you said a couple of things that I want to... Um, you know, get a little bit more mm -hmm. detail here. And, um, you know, you've, you've kind of talked as well about, you know, that kind of, you know, talking to European, um, you know, 
corporates, you know, on, on let's say the opportunities and, you know, let, let's maybe delve a little bit into because, you know, you, you are a thought leader um, and in that sense, you're speaking at also a lot of conferences, you know, so, um, and, and so meaning that you are deeply rooted as well in the European community in that sense. Um, so and having a lot of exchange there, meaning that, you know, there's, you're always kind of, you know, exchanging kind of, so um, from your mm -hmm. personal perspective, but as well kind of having a lot of input and, uh, on a personal note, what is what is kind of the status quo that you're observing, you know, and, and you know, from an opportunistic from an opportunistic perspective, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in regards to okay, um, what are the opportunities you know that that are clearly visible uh, for European corporate uh, for the European corporate landscape, but also the challenges you know that are currently let's say visible in really achieving that. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> I, yeah, so let me let me try to share some insights uh, in those from those discussions and um, and that I've been having with CEOs of large corporations, also of small corporations and and with startups, as well as with ministers and government entities and with new institutes that have come up and with the academic system. So I have very regular discussions, not only within Europe, but also in the US, Asia, uh, Middle East, Australia, uh, you know, with many colleagues there uh, to, to sort of, how to say, to complete the picture from, from my point of view. What I'm seeing is a real, uh, how would you want to call it? It's There is a real um, insight and, and um, an honest, I would call it an honest appraisal now of, of the situation uh, of how to utilize AI technology and data-driven technology in businesses that traditionally did not have AI or data at its, at its core. So more and more companies are warming up to the, this technology and, and really uh, moving into what one could call the second wave of AI maturity or professionalism uh, compared to maybe six or seven or eight years ago or maybe only really just three or four. It wasn't that long ago, where you had many traveling to the hotspots of AI technology and all had their trip to Silicon Valley or to Shenzhen and see how, how things are done. Then started a many sort of COEs and, and, and competence centers within their organization, which were often quite remote from their core business. So you can take a manufacturing company or transport company or recruitment company all of them have at their core business um, a very different value creation process uh, than having data or AI being part of it. So, so that is what happened years ago with this, yeah, this tourism almost around getting a sense and then creating, I would almost call them superficial um, teams um, that, that could not really be effective uh, sufficiently effective in the organization because they were often remote in the in the organization so you had 10 20 50 data scientists of sometimes even of good uh, of good quality and they were meant to be sort of really creating value which of course after year or two or three uh, many companies realize oh it's somehow it's not, not doing anything and in part one of the reason is that often these special teams which are very highly valuable and need to continue to be fostered and built but they they did not have the power 
or the mandate or perhaps even the competence to change the business, the, 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 the rest of the business and the culture. So if you are a manufacturing company, you have 10,000 employees that are uh, working across the globe um, and they build products, they build a machine, they build, let's say, I don't know, uh, you know, lawnmower or what, what it might be. And that is what they focus on. And the marketing uh, department is focusing on that. The product engineering department is focusing on the sales is focused on that. Then it's very hard for those types of companies to make a difference. So, so now it's sort of for, from an industry point of view, it turns into more professionalism. It turns into an understanding that there's an end-to-end -end, uh, process and, and plan that is required. And there's an increased understanding that it may change or has to change big parts of the organization if, if you want to survive uh, being part, uh, you know, want to survive in this new era of AI, because this is truly a revolution and, and a big change and disruption. And many will be falling off the, the horse uh, as we engage in this new world. But I think that's from an industry point of view. You mentioned before, um, for example, the public sector or health and, and medicine, right, as another industry, which is more, which has a different dynamic. There you, you develop um, systems that are good for people, that are safe, that are trustworthy, that are fair. Uh, there's much more emphasis uh, of these systems in this sector because they are often public sectors. Here in Europe, we have a, obviously a strong emphasis on healthcare, for example, being applicable to all. And there, there's many more discussions with ministers, with uh, government authorities, with health authorities, uh, for example, that are um, take, making this a priority. So the transparency and fairness to, to customers. And, and that goes then hand in hand with regulation. Um, and, and those regulatory frameworks are often a, a, almost an imperative for many of these public uh, organizations to follow. Uh, and, um, and so that is something where I see many responses, much thinking, but also to be very frank and, and critical of the system we're experiencing in Europe, there is a lot of um, bottlenecks or let's say there are even some conflicts which, which make it very difficult to implement these systems. So, so I don't know how familiar you are, for example, with the public system, uh, and with the regu regulations in general, but you're often prevented really from um, building something in the public sector, let's say, un unless you know it really precisely. And that is exactly the one thing that uh, very efficient AI systems often cannot offer. They are dynamic, they learn, they change all the time. And the many, uh, many public um, players are often a bit in a, in a difficult situation. But all of them realize, I think it particularly in comparison to global advancements in, in Asia in China and in Singapore, Indonesia, and also in Northern American developments, uh, we, we completely need to step up the game. It becomes almost, yeah, I hate to say it, but I want to be blunt. I mean, it becomes almost embarrassing how slow we are yeah. when it comes to this, uh, this development. Um, I want to say it bluntly because I am also quite concerned that we are falling behind much more than, than we would like. Uh, and these developments with new technology have an, have an exponential behavior. So in other words, when there are certain companies gathering uh, more and more data, let's say, and they become more and more advanced with AI, they start having a real monopoly around it. Uh, they have understood what the data means. They have huge data resources. 
and that gives them a head start even a year is almost impossible for a new newcomer to catch up on sometimes and so that is something um, which we need to be very careful about here in, in Europe and we just have so few companies uh, currently that are on the same level of the global players in AI such as the Googles and the and the Amazons and the you know the Didis and the uh, Alibabas in, in China for example so so these are discussions I'm having, um, both with the government sector, with the with uh, uh, company leaders, with with um, certain uh, pioneers in companies, uh, and also with startup leaders. I th I think uh, uh, yeah, there's a lot to do. There's a is a high a higher and higher awareness, and also a higher awareness as to how much more resources such a shift needs if you really want to be at the edge of uh, the new. Uh, the new era that we are in. Yeah, um, I totally agree with you. And I think, you know, right now, um, also obviously a lot of discussions about that and, and, and really, you know, kind of seizing the opportunity that Europe, where Europe is really good at, which is, you know, certain industries, obviously, you know, and, 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 you know, for all the, let's say, and you mentioned the big, the big tech companies, you know, and then it's clear how they, how they got big, right? So let's say through, mm -hmm. through the um, huge, let's say B2C platforms that, that they were created, mm -hmm. you know, but that more or less is, um, you know, uh, is, a, is, a, is a thing that, you know, is, is not, not really, let's say, seizable anymore, you know, for Europe. Mm -hmm. and, um, but the, the funny thing is, you know, that if you don't, and I think that, you know, the, the nature of uh, exponential growth is, which you as well kind of mentioned, you know, is, is, uh, is something, you know, that people might be aware of, but still, I think oftentimes fail to fully comprehend, you know, because um, if you look at the B2, if you look at the B2B opportunities in that sense, right, and the, um, all the different domains where, and industries where you let's say can have the intersection of of ai and and, and, and let's say the, the domain knowledge you know those are domains which are then now as well being exploited or not not exploited but explored uh, by the big tech companies you know who come from the from the social area maybe you know from from the from the internet area uh and and such as you know healthcare uh and and so on and um and i think it's it's really yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see on, on, you know, whether whether Europe will be able to seize its 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 position in there, you know, and, and to kind of put yeah. it back on that territory, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And there's a couple of other um, topics, you know, and I think you discuss them in other other podcasts too, which is which is really important is to build um, this entrepreneurial mindset, right? Like when you, for example, say it's it's quick to forget what exponential growth is i mean i think when when i you know as i before the uh covid crisis now you know traveled down to silicon valley i think this is almost the only thing that everyone thinks about when you go down to san fran or palo alto right i mean where's the where's the exponential growth uh and and so naturally you have companies that 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 are achieving it because it's in the mind of everyone what niche can we essentially grow in uh, if you again you know take twitter or or, or Uber or whatever it is. But I think um, this culture, if I may reflect a little bit, it, it doesn't, it's not as dominant in Europe. I think we have a lot of really great uh, companies which have existed for a long time. They have a fantastic 
have uh, built up a great uh, reputation, but they have certainly don't have in their genes anymore this exponential growth idea. Uh, you know, I, I think if you look at European companies um, that that have this, how to say, this flavor of exponentiality around business and. And that doesn't always have to be that that way, but it certainly gives a certain uh, certain spin to the whole engagement, the whole uh, business that you're doing. So you know, Spotify, I think Delivery Hero. Uh, we have a couple of these companies that are really expanding, but they are in terms of magnitude, several magnitudes smaller than the biggest companies in in the U.S. or China. So, and then of course. Then, of course, building up a generation of entrepreneurs, which has been uh, fostered and cultured in the Valley and, and often in some other places in the US, you know, a successful generation of entrepreneurs then, then support the next generation of entrepreneurs. That is something that uh, we don't have as well, let's say, developed in Europe uh, as, as it would be in, in the Valley or even in China and certain Asian areas where the dynamics of entrepreneurship is slightly different, but <clears throat> you still have that sort of investment dyna dy dynamics and, and don't quite have it. And then the question is, you pointed out before, what is our, well, where should we engage? What is our strength? You know, that, that, is, uh, that is, of course, um, a very important question. And we have overall very manufacturing uh, heavy in Europe overall, particularly uh, Middle Europe, you know, Germany and the Netherlands and the Nordic countries. And so we have a lot of manufacturing uh, from which we make uh, the most GDP and we essentially are known for, let's say, you know, everything from the cars to the lawnmowers to the machines and everything, right? So, so there, this is our stronghold. We have engineers of excellent quality in Europe that can build these machines. The question might be here, how can we accelerate their, these types of skills? How can we continue to be on top of this type of game. Uh, and I think we do have an opportunity because that part is um, not yet uh, covered. So even the US and China haven't completely figured out how to build, uh, let's say, or how to, how to AI or data infuse uh, classical uh, leg legacy manufacturing companies. There's still a lot more uh, that needs to be done, and I, there we might really have a chance to to uh, to be uh, you know ahead of the game uh, in some parts at least. So so that is that is something where I, I think we have a good chance. So we have lots of great companies, um, but it needs to. It, it's not just the technology, but as you appreciate and the listeners uh, too, it is of course the right mindset and entrepreneurship. And with entrepreneurship comes also certain um, risk appetite. Right? You cannot you know, nothing gained, nothing ventured, nothing gained, goes to saying. And, um, and so that is something that needs to be part of the agenda of the, uh, the leadership of the company. Uh, it needs to be part of the board of the company. They need to understand that. And, and maybe one way to do it is to put an entrepreneur in the board and then the executive leadership with proper executive power, as well as uh, experts in the, in the field, such as AI or yeah, AI is really data driven is probably a very important part and then then really uh, make that um, a big agenda point every time you meet and not just talk about the existing business and the existing products and the and the cash cows, which are very, very important. Uh, but at the same time, you need to counter it always with the uh, with the part where you are needing to embrace uh, new technology and being ahead of the game. And that sometimes can be painful. You know, it might be 
losing some revenue, become a little bit smaller for two years as a company, which is usually a very, very difficult sell, but it might be necessary. And I know companies that have managed to do that in Europe. So. Yeah, right. So then maybe let's talk about tools that, you know, that might support this, you know, and we've talked a lot about the corporate landscape, but, you know, you, one of your things that you're also involved with is the Nordic AI Institute. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, maybe just quickly, um, you know, what is kind of, you know, the story um, uh, from your side on that? So what, what yeah. is kind of, you know, the, 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 the mission of the Institute and what is also your role and why you're participating in this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, very passionate about that. So the, the mission is really to use artificial intelligence for a social and economic prosperity. That is our mission. That is part of our statute. Um, and that we do this transparently, that we involve and in, in are a nonprofit um, public uh, entity that is really helping society to, to so that let's say, to really delve into this topic more and more maturely. Um, the, I think the story goes back a long time in some sense because my uh, PhD supervisor, he was running the Australian Institute of AI, or rather the Australian AI Institute. So it was, we called it often A square, I square. Um, his name is Michael George, and he was invited by the former prime minister in the, in the 80s uh, to go back from Stanford to Australia and build the institute. And I think um, that was a great step. The, the Institute doesn't exist anymore. It existed for about 15 years and was very successful in creating uh, really good outcomes uh, in Australia, New Zealand and the US. Um, but that is sort of where I got really inspired and, and, and I learned a lot from my, uh, from my uh, doctoral father, you know, as it is called also in Germany. And, and, uh, and so that is, that is something that always inspired me. And, I, and then, uh, it became quite evident maybe five, six, seven years ago that the need for uh, certain authorities and leadership figures in, in, uh, in societies is very uh, high. They need, they need to understand what, what AI can do. Uh, and I was um, uh, also inspired through discussions with, uh, for example, Risto Silasma, he's the chairman of Nokia and um, uh, also at F-Secure, very, obviously very large companies that all of us know. And, um, and so he made good arguments <clears throat> in learning and understanding AI himself. He felt at some point that he wanted to go back to the, uh, to the school bench and learn it. And so he traveled over to San Francisco and talked to my colleague, Andrew Nang, who was teaching AI and actually learned it. You know, he learned the data, he learned the algorithms. For him, perhaps a touch easier because it is a, an engineer. But all these examples show how important it is to understand the potential of this technology and not just um, pay lip service, right? And so this is a bit the, the background of creating an institute with leading figures now uh, that, that are where we are acting in the world and providing advice to, uh, to, to key leaders and stakeholders in the environment. So I give perhaps one example. We have had so many discussions with ministers in the Nordics and, and uh, advising also the German government, uh, talking to the uh, minister uh, of AI and the uh, UAE. Um, and uh, we had discussions also with India uh, and the ministers there. So obviously in every country, it's a big topic. Uh, but one example is also here with the king and queen of uh, Sweden. So I had the uh, pleasure to talk uh, a whole day 
with the king and queen uh, of Sweden. I was invited to the palace and um, we had a big long workshop around the potential applications of AI, particularly for the protection of children uh, yeah. online. And so uh, I think this is an example where a lot can be done uh, to make our society better, to use this technology for, uh, for human good. And um, yeah, so th this is perhaps an example. But it is also where we, as mentioned before, where we talk to ministers of economy, I've contributed to the AI strategies in Finland and Sweden and Norway, uh, uh, Germany and, and several places where uh, guidance is necessary, uh, let's say, or desired really from experts. And there are not so many around, you know, as you know, probably I think WEF and the uh, New York Times have estimated there are about 10,000 experts in the world that really can move the needle. And so we have collected a subset in the Nordic AI Institute that is making these types of contributions. And that's sort of the, uh, that's the background and the story. And I think we will be having, um, we support, uh, we have meetings with these leaders, we support uh, uh, book publications, for example, um, lectures, uh, we align with initiatives, we supporting or we are sort of uh, partners of um, uh, events if they if they are in line with our mission setup and yeah this is sort of the, the background of of that institute and um, I encourage listeners and to reach out if there is a particular event or engagement that you believe is sort of uh, useful and we're happy to um, help out and discuss yeah I think I think it's you know these type of initiatives are very interesting and um, also very very helpful and uh, I think you can see that also almost in you know these type of initiatives happening in almost every country you know and and, mm. and maybe even on a local local level like on a city level you know mm. and and i think the importance for them is, is is quite high actually you know to reach you know that it's not really becoming a niche mm. part you know that there's a couple of people that build some stuff you know and understand things mm. and that the the but the wider masses which are like you know implicated um mm. uh, sorry impacted you know by 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 you know products and services in their daily lives which are let's say you know um, you know, having intelligence components in them, you know, is, is really, really important. So, mm -hmm. um, and perhaps, I mean, and then it's always a question who, who would benefit from what type of knowledge, right? I mean, if you have a minister of economy or the prime minister or a king of Sweden or, uh, right. or, or a person that, um, let's say uses, you know, Amazon Alexa or Google home or, or something like that at home, obviously the, let's say the knowledge that you might benefit from is always quite different, right? Uh, but all of it is quite important. Um, but then often I ask myself also, what is really important? Now all of us know, or most of us know how to drive a car and drive a car, but few would argue that, ah, you need to know, you need to know how a car works in its detail before you would drive it, you know? Mm. Uh, so there's um, a certain limit of knowledge that you would want to, how to say, burden someone with too, you know? I'm, I'm thinking of these practical examples with GDPR and now all of us go on any website and before you can use the website, you need to always click okay, uh, cookies and so on. And no one reads the terms of conditions, right? So for me, it's like a bit of a, it's over information, it's not practical. So I'm thinking a lot about, well, what's most useful for you as a uh, user or as a, yeah, as a recipient of that information. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think so too. So I, I guess to be honest, Christian, this is a really, really great, um, you know, topic to end this, 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 this podcast today. Um, it was really great having you on the show. Um, thanks for being here and uh, yeah, let's definitely stay in touch. Yeah, Jonathan, great that you had me on your podcast and the uh, same here. Let's, let's see what we uh, can do together. And then I encourage everyone also to uh, reach out and follow us on, uh, on Twitter or uh, on LinkedIn also. Yes, 100%. All right, Christian, thanks. Thank you.